Well, good evening. Good evening. Amen. It is good to be in God's Word together. Worship, fellowship, right in the middle of the week when we need it most. Amen. Let's open in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We ask this evening that you'd make your Word abundantly clear to us. Give us understanding. Give us the ability to not only learn but apply your word to our hearts. And Lord God, we need your help to do that. We need your Holy Spirit and empowered, empowered to be able to serve you with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, to love others, but also to serve you. We pray that as we study these Proverbs, that would be the end result, that we would grow closer to you and serve you with our lives and with our hearts and with our minds. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in Proverbs. We are in chapter 26, where we left off last week. As we get into chapter 26, we're going to be speaking about wisdom, for the theme of the book of Proverbs is God's wisdom. So that's no surprise. But each of the chapters, each of the sections, deal with different elements of God's wisdom. This evening, it's about the fact that wisdom, God's wisdom, teaches us how to avoid folly. Now, if you don't know what that word means, it basically means foolishness. The practices of a fool. Folly is that which a fool does, and we can, by wisdom, learn to avoid folly. Now, I don't know about you, but if I can help it, I would like to avoid saying anything ever in my life that's foolish or doing anything in my life ever again that's foolish. I have plenty of a history, especially when I was very young, of saying and doing foolish things. So what God's wisdom can give us is the ability to avoid these things. And we must be careful to avoid those that are fools. In order to do that, you have to sort of recognize a fool. It's not too hard to find one today. There are many. If you turn on the news, you'll find a lot of them uh, speaking, sharing, saying things. If you watch television or look at the entertainment industry, there are plenty of foolish people out there. But we don't look for fools. Actually, we look to avoid those who are foolish. Now, the Bible says it's the fool that says in his heart there is no God. But foolishness takes on different elements. And one of the things we see first off in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 26, if you're going to be dealing with someone who's foolish, don't honor a fool or fear his curses against you. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. Like snow in summer or rain in harvest. By the way, both of those are bad things. (laughs) Or things that are out of place, right? Like snow in summer or rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. This is speaking of the fool. The first verse talks about the fact you should never honor a fool. Honor doesn't fit a fool. It's not fitting to honor a fool. Sadly, and I'm not going to say this too harshly, but there are a lot of very foolish people in our world that are honored every single day. And that's just the way it is. The world seems to seek foolish people who do foolish things and honor them, but we should not. And the fluttering sparrow, the darting swallow, the idea of a bird sort of flying very, very quickly away that tells us the undeserved curse does not come to rest. So if you don't, if you've done nothing to deserve the curse of a fool, you have nothing to worry about. Because 
The curses of a fool will disappear as quickly as those little birds dart here and there. Also, verses 3 through 5, a whip for the horse, a halter for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will become like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Now, at first glance, just looking at verses 4 and 5, it seems like 4 says the opposite of 5. But remember, this is Hebrew poetry, and the, the way it's worded is, is designed to get our attention. It seems a little paradoxical, but it's actually not, and I'll explain. It, it's said poetically so that we'll get more meaning out of the words than just what they, what they appear to say. For example... Let's start with verse 3, because understanding verse 3 will help you to understand verses 4 and 5. A whip for the horse, a halter for the donkey, and a rod for the backs of fools. Now, here we understand you, you sometimes have to be harsh with people when you're disciplining someone who's being foolish, especially young people, especially children. So you must be harsh, and you need to be extremely careful when you're teaching or correcting someone who's foolish. You can't just use a one-size-fits-all approach. So sometimes, obviously in verse 3, you must be harsh. You need to discipline someone who's being foolish. In the next verse, verse 4, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Now that's telling us poetically that we have to sometimes not say anything. Sometimes we need to be silent. In other words, not stooping to their level. Sometimes it's better not to even go there. Sometimes you need to be harsh, like verse 3. Sometimes you need to not say anything. And then verse 5, answer a fool. See, do not answer a fool seems to contradict answer a fool, but it actually doesn't. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. The point of these three verses is to show us that you don't always use the same approach every single time. Sometimes, like in verse 3, you have to be harsh. Sometimes you have to say nothing or leave it alone, like in verse 4. But in verse 5, sometimes you need to open up your mouth. Correcting the insolent pride of those that speak without knowledge. Okay, how can all three be true? Well, there are times when you need to be harsh, times where you need to be silent, and times where you need to speak. The Holy Spirit has to guide you. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with a person who's foolish. That's the point of these verses, to show us that you really need to just be careful about how you answer a fool. Sometimes nothing, sometimes you have to speak, sometimes you have to be tough. One of the problems I think we get into, we want a one-size-fits-all answer for everything. And, and, and you know, occasionally you'll see someone is selling an article of clothing, like a t-shirt, and you'll ask, well, do you have a medium? No, one size fits all. And I have to think to myself, well, how could that possibly be? I'm pretty sure that a shirt that might fit someone who's very tall won't fit me. There is no one size fits all. Every situation needs to be weighed in the balance. So wisdom isn't not saying something. Wisdom isn't opening your mouth. Wisdom isn't being harsh. It's all of those things when it's appropriate. So that's the full force of these Proverbs, to give you an understanding that it's a little bit more complicated when you're dealing with a fool. Okay, verses 6 and 7 regarding fools. Like cutting off one's feet or drinking violence is the sending of a message by the hand of a fool. 
Like a lame man's legs that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So obviously this section is speaking about fools. All of that very colorful language is designed to make us understand, don't trust a fool or expect him to understand wisdom. It's very important that once you've identified that someone is in fact foolish, either because they don't know God or want to know God or they just do foolish things or say foolish things, it's so important that you don't trust a person like that. If you do, who's at fault? Notice what it says, sending of a message by the hand of a fool. Now, today we want to send a message. We text, we email. Uh, suppose you could write a letter. No, not too often do people do that. But in, the, in many years ago, that was how you communicated. You could always pick up the phone. But back then, if you wanted to send a message to someone, you would send it through one of your servants. If you had a foolish servant and you gave them a message, especially, well, if it was written down, they might lose it, right? If you gave it to them to share, they might get it wrong. Never trust a fool. Notice a lame man's legs that hang limp. That is useless, is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. So you give them God's wisdom, but it's useless because they don't apply it. And of course, we need to test our hearts to make sure we're applying God's word so that we make sure that these things are certainly not true of us. Okay. Verses 8 through 10. These go rather quickly, these chapters, actually, because a lot of the Proverbs are tied together in themes. Like tying a stone in a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. All of these three Proverbs speak of the fact that you should never associate with fools. And if you do, it's going to bring a painful correction. That is, there are going to be consequences for associating with foolish people. For example, notice it says tying a stone in a sling. Now, the whole purpose of a sling is to throw the stone, right? So if you tie the stone in the sling, what, what do you think is going to happen? That is going to come right back at you. Okay, hit you in the head. That would be stupid. <laughs> uh, and, and such is the same as giving honor to a fool. A thorn bush in a drunk's hand, or drunkard's hand. Well, a thorn bush, I'm sure you know this, can, can really scrape you up. But when there's someone who's drunk, they don't feel pain until the next day. So a thorn bush in the hand, in a drunkard's hand, it's like the proverb in the mouth of a fool. It, 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 these things do not go together. You don't give Proverbs to fools because they really can't understand. It's useless. Uh, And if you try, you're going to end up suffering consequences, painful consequences in this case. And finally, like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. So an archer who wounds at random would be someone who doesn't shoot straight, someone who doesn't uh, know what they're doing. So you give them a bow and arrow, and then they sort of wound people because they're busy They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They have no ability to shoot. And as a result, it's a painful consequence. That's the purpose of all three of those. It will bring painful correction. I mean, have you ever experienced painful correction for trusting someone or associating with someone who is foolish? You always will. And hopefully you learn. Once should be enough to learn that lesson. Finally, in this section, verses 11 through 12, uh, we read this. This is pretty disgusting. But... As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. 
Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And I love this. It ends with a pretty significant contrast. First of all, we're told that a fool is as, as foolish as a dog. Now, the dog returning to its vomit is a pretty gross uh, picture. The idea, like, he throws up and then he says, oh, I'm hungry. Let me go back to, you know, what I threw up. Pretty gross. I'm sorry, but that's what the scripture says. But that's like a, a, a fool going back to the very foolish things that he does. And it's a pretty graphic description. But then he goes on, and this is a contrast here. He says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, actually, a person who's wise in their own eyes is foolish, but that particular type of foolishness is the person who actually thinks they're wise. There's more hope for a fool than the person who doesn't know that or think that they are a fool. And so all of this about fools, don't expect a fool to change his ways or to be anything but proud. So that's all the warning uh, that, that this section gives us, a, a strong warning against associating with fools. Now, a different type of people. <clears throat> fools are fools. But how about people who are lazy? It's a different type of foolishness. Specifically, though, we also need to avoid lazy people. Here's what we learn in verses 13 through 14. The sluggard, that's the word for lazy person in, in the Proverbs. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Now, these are really wonderfully poetic descriptions. First of all, the lion in the road, this is his excuse for not going to work. You know, if I go outside, there's a lion on the road. There's a fierce lion roaming the streets, you know. Um, uh, there's a pandemic or something. You know, there's something outside that's going to prevent me from going to work. And so, you know, I, I, I have to stay home today, you know, that idea. Uh, and, and people, unfortunately, many, many people, it's hard to believe this is still happening, have used some of the COVID restrictions that in some places still exist to insist they don't need to leave their homes. I don't get it. But there are people like that, but there are also people that will use any excuse not to go to work, any excuse not to have to work at all. And sadly, that's the sluggard. Also, there's this. As a door turns on its hinges, so a slugger turns on his bed. So just like a door turns but never leaves the hinge, it just kind of turns. He just flips on the bed. He never gets out of bed. That's the point. Very poetic way of saying he never gets out of bed. So people who don't get out and get out of bed and go to work and make all kinds of excuses are lazy people that we should avoid. Okay, verse 15. The sluggard, this is, we, we saw this already actually uh, in, in a previous section of the book of Proverbs. Uh, let's see, it was in, um, it's in Proverbs 19.24. I'll comment on it again. But the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Now, this is exaggeration. This is, this is hyperbole. It's designed to make a point. How la- this guy is so lazy. How lazy is he? that when he puts his hand in the dish, he's too lazy to take it out to put it in his mouth. That's, it, it's, it's kind of comical, but it's not completely untrue. There's lots of people that, that you know, they're so lazy, they, they won't even do what's best for them. So here you got this guy who puts hand in the dish and says, ah, I'm too lazy to pull my hand back. 
So the whole point is describing lazy people, so we stay away from them. Also, verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. In his own eyes, he's a very wise person. He's wise. There's a lion in the street. He's wise. Why go out? He's a very wise person to himself, but in actuality, he's very lazy. Don't expect a sluggard or a lazy person to change his ways or to be anything but proud. That's, again, something we need to accept. Uh, why is this important to us? If you're not a foolish person and you're, you're not a lazy person, this is very important to you because there are far too many good, hardworking people who waste time associating with foolish people and lazy people. They think they can help them. They think they can change them. I've always maintained that the lazy person will get up when they're hungry. You know, if you, how can I say this without, I'll probably, no matter what I say about this, it's going to get me in trouble. But there are certain people, you know, you read these stories, there's been movies made about this, who unfortunately, for whatever reason, I assume it's some type of mental condition, they continue to eat until they get so enormous, like four or 500 pounds or something like that, they can't even get out of bed, right? And then I ask myself, who's feeding them? Is it wrong for me to ask that question? It's like, if you're, if, you're, if you're 400 pounds and you can't get out of bed, at some point you should lose enough weight that you can get out of bed. But no, no, because there's somebody who's enabling that person. This is true with every bad behavior in, in, in dysfunctional relationships. It's drinking, whatever, drinking, eating, whatever it is, you'll find that there's someone who's there shoveling the food and the person who can't get out of bed because they're so heavy. Think about it. It's like the person who's there covering for the person who's, you know, an alcoholic and they can't get to work. So the person, the spouse or the loved one calls up and says, oh, so-and-so's not feeling well. Meanwhile, they're passed out. This is important because lazy and foolish people need to be avoided. Now, I'm not saying we can't pray for them. I'm not saying we can't love them. But if you're enabling them to continue in bad behavior, you're part of the problem. You're complicit. You understand that, right? Almost every addict in the, in the world, every addict I've met, certainly, has an enabler. Almost every addict I've ever met, I mean, has an enabler. Don't be an enabler. That's probably the bigger picture here for us. So don't expect a sluggard to change his ways or to be anything but proud, because that's what's going to continue to happen until they decide to change. All right. The wise must not only be careful to avoid those who are fools, to avoid those that are lazy, but we also, if we're going to be wise, need to be careful to avoid those who are troublemakers. Another clarification here. A troublemaker is someone that, rather than making peace, looks to bring discord, looks to make trouble. There are some people that just carry it with them everywhere they go. It's, it's amazing. I know some people that they have problems in every single relationship they have. They can't get along with anyone at work, at home, in their families, their neighbors. And then they think the problem is everyone but them. Troublemakers. So here's what we read. Verses 17 through 21. Like the one who seizes a dog by the ears, wouldn't advise doing that, is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, 
a fire goes out, and without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Very interesting words. They kind of make their mark. You really don't need much explanation here. I particularly like uh, this idea of you deceive your neighbor. You tell your neighbor a story, and then you say, oh, I was just joking, after you, you know, put one over on him. Now, I'm not a big fan of those types of pranks. You know, I, I mean, there's a place and a time for kidding around. I, I do believe there is. But the point here is that meddlers, notice people who would like to grab a dog's ears. Again, if you want to find out what happens, I don't suggest you do this. Uh, you will find out very quickly what happens when you do that. Meddlers, practical jokers, gossipers, and quarreler, quarrelers love to start trouble. They pick fights. They cause problems. These are the kinds of people we should avoid. How about gossips in particular? Look at verse 22. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. Now, we've seen that proverb as well, I believe, when we were in uh, Proverbs 18, verse 8, and we talked about it there. But here it's included again because it's the context, the uh, context of a, of a gossip that we're talking about. Notice, though, the words of a gossip. A gossip is going to make those words sound really juicy, really almost irresistible. Oh, do you, do you know what happened to so-and-so? You know, that's that idea of like making it sound like something, like a choice morsel, something you just can't resist, something you can't wait to devour. Here's the thing, though. Gossips will make their words difficult to resist, but you and I, we should resist gossip. Also, deceivers. Look at verses 23 through 25. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Very interesting words. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Through his speech, although his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. I just want to stop there for a minute because we're talking about a deceiver, right? Deceivers do their very best to deceive, right? But look at the beautiful poetry here. A coating of glaze over earthenware. Now, earthenware is made generally of clay. It's fired clay, right? Um, if I told you that, you know, you, you, you could drink out of something that was essentially clay or dirt, you'd be like, ah, no thank you. But if you put a glaze over it, it's perfectly fine, right? That's the analogy that's used here. That glaze is like the deception. It's actually clay. It's actually dirt. But the glaze keeps you from realizing that. It's like the man with fervent lips but an evil heart. Oh, everything he says sounds right, but in his heart he's trying to really take advantage of you. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips. That is, his true mask is his words, what he says, what she says. That is the true mask. And the heart, in, in the heart of that person, they harbor deceit. There are so many people that will tell you whatever you want to hear, whatever they have to tell you to get what they want. And that is something we need to be very careful about. Notice, though his speech is charming, do not believe him, seven abominations fill his heart. So how can you possibly avoid a deceiver? Well, knowing the truth, studying the truth, applying the truth to your life, using God's wisdom, like we've been talking about, will help you to avoid those who are gossips, those who are meddlers, those who are practical jokers and lazy people and fools. 
you need to be in God's word so you're not taken advantage of. But there are many people out there that will try. Verse 26. His malice, speaking of the deceiver, his malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. That is, eventually you'll find out what he's made of. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. And if a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. And sometimes, uh, you know, when you're digging a pit, you're trying to generally catch an animal, right? So you dig the pit. It's this idea, a deceiver is digging a pit for you to fall in. But eventually, everything's going to come back down on him. That idea of rolling a stone, I can't help but think of like Indiana Jones. But the idea you roll a stone up high and then something triggers it and the stone comes down. It's a trap. Both of these are traps. And that's what deceivers do. They, they rig a trap and they want you to get caught in it. If you're wise and you stay away from people like this, even though they're concealing their deception, eventually their wickedness will be exposed. And I only pray that that would happen more often in our world and especially in our government. But we shall see. Verse 28. Liars. Look at verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it hurts. And a flattering mouth works ruin. A flattering mouth is telling you again the things that you want to hear in order to deceive you. So ultimately these types of people will be exposed for what they really are. Their foolish ways. And liars are filled with hurtful and hateful ways, and they will only ever bring destruction. And so, stay away from them. That's the encouragement. Okay. Wisdom teaches us how to avoid folly and foolishness. But in chapter 27, and we'll look at 27, and then we'll be done for the evening, wisdom also teaches us how to apply a wisdom uh, to our lives. It doesn't just teach us how to avoid people who are unwise people who are foolish. It teaches us how to apply wisdom to our lives. And the wise that the Bible talks about, the truly wise, are the godly. And they're going to live lives of understanding. So to the degree that you understand God's word and apply God's word, you are considered wise with God's wisdom, and you will be blessed as a result. Let's look at some of the things that a wise person does, some of the teachings that a wise person will apply to their own hearts. By the way, you have to choose to do this. No one will do this for you. You know, this is the kind of thing that you have to read in God's word and make a determination. Like, for example, make a determination to stay away from lazy people, to stay away from fools. You have to do that. You have to apply that to your own life. Look what it says in verses 1 and 2. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth. Someone else, and not your own lips. What that is telling the wise person who will listen is to choose to be humble and modest. The person that boasts about tomorrow is not a humble person. They're talking about the things they're going to do and all the wonderful things they're going to accomplish. That's not a humble person. And a modest person, you know, allows others to praise them. They don't need to tell everyone how great they are. Okay? If anyone's going to speak of their greatness, it's going to be others, not them. So that's one of the things that we need to do as we apply God's word to our hearts. Verses 3 through 4. Stone is heavy and sand a burden, but provocation by a fool is heavier than both. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? That's interesting because, uh, well, let's look at verse 3 first. 
speaking of heavy things, stone, sand, you know, I did a patio project this, uh, this year, this summer, and I ended up doing the project in such a way where I used the least amount of sand and stone because that's the hardest part of the job. Carrying like 30 bags of stone from the back of my car to my backyard, that's my least favorite aspect of that project, right? So there's a way to do this now where you use a certain type of paver base and you don't have to carry all that stone. Stone and sand are heavy. Anyone that's ever done any kind of work like that knows that is truly a burden. But what we're told is while that's true, that stone and sand are heavy, provocation by a fool is heavier than both. That is, allowing yourself to be provoked by someone who's foolish is a heavier burden than carrying bags of sand or carrying shovelfuls or whatever of sand and stone. The point is stay away from it. Avoid it. But you have to make that decision. And don't be provoked. A wise person doesn't allow themselves to be provoked, nor do they provoke others. And I think I see this often. You know, I sometimes see it when I'm shopping. I always see it on the road, almost all the time. People do things, you know, and road rage is a real problem. I'm not sure if it's because we think we're in our car and we're insulated from the consequences, but there are far too many articles that I've read in the last year of people that, you know, had guns on them and fired at people that cut them off. I mean, anything can happen. It's crazy, right? You, you don't want to be provoked by a foolish person. The end result could be burdensome. Uh, so you try to avoid conflict. That's really the point. All right, let's see. In verse 4, it says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. So anger, fury, these are bad things. We talked a little bit about this already. But who can stand before jealousy? Now, jealousy is worse than anger and fury because it encompasses anger, but at the heart, it's a person is really fearful. A jealous person is a fearful person. Don't confuse jealousy and envy. Envy is a person that's covetous. They, they see what you have. They like what you have. They want what you have. That's a little different than a jealous person. A jealous person is afraid of losing something, either their position uh, their reputation, a relationship. Maybe they're afraid of losing someone they care about. Uh, that jealous person is fearful of loss. When a person is fearful of loss, that is even worse to deal with than anger or fury. And so, speaking of the provocation of fools, this is all tied together, especially dangerous is a jealous fool. And there are people that will do anything because of jealousy. I mean, there are people that kill other people because of jealousy. I'm sure you've read enough articles and watched enough news to know that this is true. A person's jealous, they literally will murder people or hire people to kill people because they're jealous. It, so the point is, anger and fury are bad, but who can stand before jealousy? Watch out, be careful. These things are very, very evil. Verse 5. This has to do with relationships, honesty and relationships. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Now, this is a, a, a contrast. The idea is an open rebuke is the person who tells you what you need to hear. They love you enough to tell you the truth. That's open rebuke. Hidden love, it's like describing the person. Well, I love the person, but I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'm, 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 I'm going to hide anything I really need to say. But this contrast is like hidden love is maybe the person that doesn't even admit they care. 
But it's so much better to openly rebuke someone that you care about. Just, hey, listen, I, I noticed something you were doing, something you were thinking. Correct them. A person you love that much needs to be corrected and should be corrected by someone who actually loves them. Rather than hiding your love for them, open up your mouth. Verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I can only think of Judas, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane. But wounds from a friend, that, that, this isn't meant to be taken literally. It's not as if someone's going to come up and wound you and then call themselves a friend. But sharing something with you that's true, an open rebuke, it might hurt you. It might hurt your feelings. But notice what it says. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If someone points out something, they're your friend, they love you, and they point out something that needs to be pointed out, a rebuke, a correction, you can trust them. That person actually cares about you. But notice, an enemy multiplies kisses. That's back to that person that deceives. That person tells you anything you want to hear. Oh, yeah, no, great. Oh, everything's wonderful. Meanwhile, they stab you in the back. And I think that's a, a very interesting way of saying it. So what's the encouragement? To be honest in friendship. To be honest in your relationships. This is for us to apply to our lives. We need to make sure that we're honest with our friends and those that we care about. Verses 7 and 8. He who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry, even what is bitter tastes sweet. Now, this is a contrast. So you're full. So you're like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. You know, honey honey is, is good. It's sweet. It's candy, right? So you got honey. But you're full. You don't even desire what's sweet. But notice the person is hungry. They consider what's bitter sweet. Because they're willing to eat anything. They're that hungry. And it's just a contrast that's given to us. Uh, Let me continue verse 8. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Now this is in the context of not watching over your home. Not being on top of things at home. For example, one of the things that's really hard to do when you go on vacation, you know, you're like, oh, you know, what's going to happen? Is my basement going to get flooded? Is somebody going to break in? Is my furnace going to stop working? You know, those are the kind of things. I mean, growing up, I remember people that would never go on vacation, like certain family members, because they were afraid who was going to watch the house. You know, the house needed watching. This was a thing. Who's going to watch the house? And so they wouldn't even think about going out unless someone came and at least checked on the house a little bit. Now, generally, if I'm going to be away for a long period of time, especially in the winter, I'll have someone just check in on the house, make sure everything's working, that you know, it didn't blow up or anything. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is good to be responsible with your home. It's important, obviously. All of these things point us in this direction. This idea of who is, uh, he who is full loathes honey, but to the hungry... Even what is bitter tastes sweet, and like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. These Proverbs teach us to think about the needs of others. Here you are, you're so full, right? You're so full that you you can't even eat, like, dessert. This other guy, he'd be willing to eat the worst-tasting food because he's hungry. Are you thinking about others or just stuffing your own face? And then adding to that, protecting your own home. 
So you need to make sure that you care for the needs of others, but you also need to be responsible to take care of things at home. It's being responsible for others and also, by contrast, being responsible for yourself. Probably no greater responsibility do we have than our own homes. I mean, speaking of the things we need to be responsible for, maybe our cars, you know, our homes, that's our responsibility. I mean, if if you're driving your car and all of a sudden the engine seizes because you haven't changed the oil in like six years, that's on you. And one of the things that's kind of a bummer as you go from childhood uh, to adolescence to adulthood, you realize how many responsibilities you have, right? And it's like, I have like lists on my iPad of all the things I have to do, maintenance responsibilities, you know. I have a, a file on each of my cars to keep track of when I did the oil changes. All we have is responsibility, right? It's just the way it is. But you know what? Being a responsible person and being responsible and sensitive to others makes you a wise person. I think those two things put together make a lot of sense to me. Verses 9 and 10. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Okay, all of that is very poetic language. What does it actually say? This has to do with close relationships. And fostering close friendships. There are people that don't do very well in relationships. We, as Christians, really, we need to foster relationship. And one of the ways we do this, if you look at the the first one, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. That is, if you buy a new perfume and you put it on, generally it's designed to bring a good reaction when people smell it, right? Um, If it doesn't, it's probably not a very good perfume. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. So just like perfume uh, is a pleasant experience, so is a friend and having friends that give you earnest counsel. Friends that you can give earnest counsel to. The pleasantness of one's friend, it springs from earnest counsel. That is people you can trust. Are you building those kinds of relationships with people you can trust? It's likened unto perfume and incense, which are good things. But not forsaking your friend or family friends, the friend of your father, that seems pretty obvious to me. You want to continue to have those good relationships with people. But this one's a little hard to understand. And do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. This is designed to make the point. Listen, if your brother lives in Phoenix and you have a problem Though he may be a wonderful family member, he is too far away to be able to help you. So don't just rely on people very far away. Build relationships with your neighbors. Build relationships with the people that are close to you, in proximity to you, because you need them and and they need you. That's why it says, when disaster strikes, better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. You need to have people around you who are close to you, in proximity to you. And that's only going to happen if you make an active attempt as a wise person to build relationships with friends, to build friendships, and especially with those, your neighbors, those around you. That's the point. Okay, it's an encouragement toward friendship and close relationships. Verse 11, something to think about. Be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. 
then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. This is an encouragement from a father to his son to do the right thing. That is all of the things we've been talking about, certainly. But what that tells me is you need to consider your family's reputation. When you act, when you speak, when you do things, it reflects back on your father, your mother, your family members. And so what this father is saying is, be wise. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. That is, you, by being a good person, heighten my reputation. You make the family more admirable, people of integrity and character, by acting wise. So you're actually blessing your family's reputation. Verses 12 through 13. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. We've actually read that proverb as well. That was in Proverbs 22, verse 3. It's brought in here now to couple it with verse 13. Take the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. That one also, by the way, uh, we studied in Proverbs 20, verse 16. So some of these Proverbs are being repeated. Remember, this is part of, a, of an addendum to the book of Proverbs that came in around 300 years later. So some of it is repeated, but it's designed to teach us some things here. And everything in verses 12 and 13 has to do with protecting yourself and your assets. You know, it's actually a very good thing to protect yourself and your assets, to protect the things God has blessed you with. Notice the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. You know, if you know that your basement floods, you probably need to do something about it. We just spent a fair amount of money last year dealing with water remediation because Michelle and I just got tired of every time it was raining, running home to make sure that, you know, our house didn't flood. And we said, well, we can keep doing this into our 60s or we can hire somebody and we can fix the problem. Uh, that is what it means to see danger uh, and take refuge. But a simple person, a foolish person, just keeps doing the same thing as if it's never going to happen again. Certainly that's understandable. But this idea of taking the garment of one who puts up security for a stranger and holding it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman, this has to do with, and we talked about this in the past, you would take the garment of someone who bought something on credit or on time, uh, the idea, if you took a garment, they would come back to redeem the garment so, by paying you. So, well, I can't pay you now. Here, take my coat. I'll be back for my coat later. It, it was collateral, if you will. And so it's, there's actually encouragement to take collateral for someone you don't know. And you can understand why. That's just wise, right? And notice, hold it in pledge if he does it for a wayward woman. So the idea is if what he's spending his money and his time and his resources on is sinful, like a sinful relationship, he's saying, hold it and pledge. Don't be so foolish as to support somebody who's just going to waste the things you give them. So if you are going to give them something, make sure you have collateral because you may not get it back. That's the idea. Okay, that gets us through to verse 14. This is pretty simple. Consider the feelings of others, right? Look at verse 14. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Now, here's the thing. If you go to your neighbor's house at 6 o'clock in the morning and say, Good morning! 
thing. You're the best neighbor in the world. A blessing at that time in that way is not considered a blessing, is it? It's taken as a curse. It's meant to be comical to make the point. Make sure that when you approach people that you're trying to bless, that you're actually blessing them and not annoying them. Okay? So make sure you're actually blessing them. And I think that has everything to do with considering the feelings of others. Okay, verses 15 and 16. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Now, we've talked about Proverbs like this, a little different, but kind of the idea of living with a quarrelsome person. You can also apply this to a quarrelsome husband, a quarrelsome uh, roommate, someone you're living with that's just quarrelsome, a difficult person. And, of course, it's like a constant dripping on a rainy day. It's annoying. That's the point. We're on that same subject. But notice restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Let me explain. First of all, you should always seek to live peacefully with your spouse, certainly, uh, with anyone you live with. You shouldn't be a quarrelsome person. A quarrelsome person is no fun to live with. But if things are not right at home, you are not free of the conflict until it's resolved, right? So it's just like a constant, uh, it just never stops. It's like, it doesn't go away like that dripping on a rainy day. So you have to resolve it. So the encouragement to a wise person, maybe resolve it. But also, no matter how hard you try to hide it, that unresolved conflict at home, it reveals itself like the wind. You can't restrain the wind. You can say, no, everything's fine, but if the wind blows, you're not going to stop it from blowing. And you can have a lot of conflict at home, and you can say everything's okay, but you're not going to be able to hide it. It will reveal itself like the wind. Notice it says it there. Restraining her is like restraining the wind. It's, it's going to come out. That's the point. And notice this. Or grasping oil with the hand. Now, that might sound a little strange. If you grasp oil with your hand, if you get oil on your hand, the smell of that oil is going to be on your hand. So these are very interesting poetic ways of saying, just like you can't restrain the wind, just like if you have oil on your hand, you're not going to be able to hide the conflict at home of living with a quarrelsome person, whether it's a wife or a husband or anyone else. So the idea, what, what is the encouragement? Resolve it. That would be the encouragement to the wise person. Resolve it if you can. Okay. Verses 17 through 18. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. This again, speaking of relationships. First, we have this iron sharpening iron. If you're going to sharpen an iron tool or a sword, it's going to take a grinding wheel. It's going to take something of, of equal strength to grind it down and sharpen it. So as iron sharpens iron, if you sharpen iron against iron, you're going to see that's the way we should sharpen one another. Now, this, there's a whole lesson here because that sharpening in relationship happens through friction. Friction is a part of the sharpening process. Friction is what brings people closer together. It actually creates character. So friction has a place within reason. And so iron sharpening iron, friction, uh, conflict, relationship. Many people run away from these things, but that's 
actually what can make you sharp. That will make you a better person. So the necessary friction of relationships sharpens us as individuals. So the recluse, the person who does not want to be involved in relationships, the loner, avoids all of this interaction, but likewise forfeits personal growth and maturity. So a really wise person understands there's going to be some degree of friction in relationships, but they still seek relationship because through relationship they grow into the person God has called them to be. Also, as we see, he who tends a fig tree will eat its fruit, and he who looks after his master will be honored. This speaks of, again, caring for others by caring for those that we serve. Because notice, it's tending a fig tree, but it's likened unto someone who looks after their master. So for us, it might be our, our employer or someone we serve. By caring for those we serve, we're ultimately rewarded by their blessing, like the person that cares for the fig tree gets figs. You get blessed. Very simple. This is the second to last part, really, we want to look at. Verses 19 through 21. This has to do with self-reflection. Now, many people are afraid to look in the mirror. They're afraid to look at their own lives. They're afraid to self-examine. They're afraid to look and, and, as the scripture says, examine themselves to see if they're in the faith. Many people are content to not dig deep into their own hearts and find out what's there. But as you are a wise person and you study the scriptures, God is going to reveal your heart. He knows your heart. He's going to reveal it to you. But you have to take the time to do that. So we read in verses 19 through 21, As water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Think about that. As water reflects a face, like a mirror, so a man's heart reflects the man. Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of a man. The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. But man is tested by the praise he receives. All of this has to do with self-reflection. All of this has to do with looking into our own hearts, knowing ourselves. Do you know yourself? Do you know who you are? Because in verse 19, water reflects the face, so a man's heart reflects the man. This is about learning to know your character your own character, and you do that by self-observation. Just like when you look in the mirror, you can see whether your hair looks good or your, you know, uh, your, your, your makeup is running, ladies. Whatever it is, you look at, you see who you are by looking in the mirror. Well, the same thing is true. By self-observation, you're going to know your own heart because, as it says here, a man or a woman's heart reflects the man or the woman, the person. So knowing who you are. Also, verse 20, death and destruction are never satisfied in either of the eyes of man. Listen, learn to control your desires through self-restraint. So yes, self-observation, looking at who you are, but self-restraint. Many people don't exercise self-control. But the idea here in verse 20 is, listen, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to buy enough stuff. And, you know, you're never going to have enough things. You're always going to want more. I always think of Baruch Assault from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? I want it now. I want the world. You know, it's, I, want, I want more. She's saying, that's enough was never enough. That is so many of us. Death and destruction are certainly never satisfied. Your eyes are never satisfied. So learn self-restraint. Finally, verse 21. This idea of the crucible for silver. The crucible was used to melt down silver to remove the impurities. 
A furnace is used to melt down gold to remove the impurities. A man is tested by the praise he receives. So, as you receive praise, it's like the furnace for gold or the crucible for silver. That's the moment of testing. That's the moment when you receive praise. How do you pass the test? Well, you learn to remain humble. And you do that by self-recognition. So when someone praises you, that's your opportunity to remove the impurity. That is, don't be proud. Be humble. Verse 22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding him like grain with a pestle, you will not remove his folly from him. Now, if you use a mortar and pestle to grind herbs... Uh, nowadays, most people would probably use a food processor. But the idea is you grind that, that herb down uh, with the intent to, to get the flavor out of it, right? But what we're being told here is even if you, if you do that, metaphorically speaking, if you do that to a fool, it's not going to remove the folly from him. Uh, basically, stay away from fools. While they choose to continue to be foolish, there's nothing you can do to help them. That's really what we're learning. Don't try to change a fool that refuses to change. Finally, verses 23 through 27. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Now, this is speaking to people who had animals, they were farmers. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and the new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servant girls. That's a very wonderfully poetic way of saying this. Be responsible to care for and protect your livelihood. Are you a responsible person? You take care of the things you have? whether it's watching over your investments or, as I said, your home or your car or whatever you have. In the example of farming, if you take care of your animals and your fields, they take care of you. So all that we've learned here, there's so much really, uh, really is an overwhelming encouragement to avoid foolishness and the different types of foolishness and to apply wisdom to our own lives so that we don't become fools. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful wisdom. There's so much of it here, and we could think on these things for long periods of time and probably not even scratch the surface. But we are encouraged now to just give our hearts to you, that you might speak to us and help us to be wise. Of course, the wisest thing we can do is give our hearts to you. You who sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He who rose again to give us newness of life and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. That is the wisest thing we can do. And the most foolish thing we could do is disregard that great sacrifice and reject your, your wonderful love. So, Lord, may we be wise in that regard. And in all of these ways, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.